Hi, everyone. This is Martin Willis. Welcome to the Antique Auction Forum for podcast number 124. Once again, today we have Richard Wright on our show, and today he's talking about Italian design. You can follow us on Twitter, or you can like us on Facebook as well as post on Facebook, and those icons are right on our website. If you'd like to contact me, that's info at antiqueauctionforum.com. Thank you for listening, and I hope you enjoy today's show. This podcast is sponsored by WorthPoint. Find out what your antiques are worth at worthpoint.com. So I'm on Skype with repeat guest Richard Wright in Chicago. How are you, Richard? I'm doing fine. Good morning to you. Hello, and thanks again for being back. It's always nice to have you on the show. And today we're going to talk about Italian design, which I know very little about. I know Giaponti and a few other names, some that I can't pronounce correctly. I wanted to first of all ask you, what is uh, the current market for Italian design in is it, uh, it seems to be pretty hot. Can you talk about that? Sure. I mean, the current market for Italian design is actually quite good. And, you know, it's an important part of the mid-century design, you know, market in general. Sort of, uh, you know, the, the, the top of the market traditionally is the French design material. But I think the, the, on the aggregate, Italian design is probably the second most valuable as just a category within within the market. Um, you know, I started doing standalone Italian design sales beginning in 2005. And this will be my fourth one of them sporadically. Um, and I've seen the market, you know, really mature in that time. And, you know, we've, we've, we, you know, in general, not just us, uh, some pretty high prices have been achieved. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, Let's talk briefly about your sale coming up. I just looked through the images. You have some really beautiful things. And uh, this podcast is going to be up for a while, but this sale is coming up. Uh, Can you talk a little bit about it? Sure. Um, So we're doing an Italian masterwork sale. The sale is composed primarily of of the collection of one individual, uh, Mr. Loris Mana uh, from Milan. He built this collection over three decades, 30 years. Um, focused on, on early Gioponti and a lot of Fontana Arte material. Um, he's well known in Italy as wrote an important book on, on Gioponti ceramics on the Majolica. Um, and he had a quite important collection of, of ceramics as well, which ended up staying in Italy and going to, to a, uh, a, a not, not a museum yet, but, but in essence, a private collection, hopefully to be gifted to a museum. We were able to to uh, work with him to get the furniture and the in, in the you know the accessories, so we're really excited to be presenting it to the market. Now, let me ask you this: Why would someone from Italy send their items to the U.S.? You know, the market for Italian design is strongest in America. Hmm. Um, the major sales occur either here or in London. So, I mean, he did have an option in London. The auction houses in Italy, there's no international auction houses. Um, 
Christie's, I believe, has stopped doing sales there. I mean, they have offices, but um, so at this point, it's just Italian uh, auction houses, and the material doesn't do as well on an international basis when it's just offered there. So hmm. he did. We did compete with other auction houses, but mainly, you know, against whether he would send the collection to London or to Chicago, and you know. Once it's in a crate, it's not that much harder to send it here. Now, is there is this a one-owner sale, or do you have additions? I have a few things at the end of the sale. Um, we took some some uh, ceramics from uh, some other people and just a few things at, at the end. Um, but but so 90% of it is his, his sale. Wow. Wow, that's exciting. Um, and... You were saying that it's it's generally the mid-century, which is hot. Is there? How about more contemporary works? Are they? They seem to be holding pretty strong in the Italian, as far as Italian design. Yeah, I mean, I think that that the sweet spot. I mean, Italy sort of emerges as a as a design powerhouse in the post-war. You know, obviously they were part of the Reconstruction, and you know they they they. One great thing and one of the reasons it's that, that, that Italian design is so interesting is, you know, in, in the post-war environment there, there was a real emphasis. There's much more of an emphasis on the sort of craft model within Italy. There's, you know, it's much more of a fractured economy and many more small producers. And that led to an ability to, to really experiment, make a wide variety of design um, and a very high quality. I think that there was less emphasis on mass production than there is in, you know, the United States where, you know, the, the sort of the, the paradigm really was good design for the masses. Italy took another path, which was, you know, much more, you know, about artisans and designers working together, which is something that I would love to see more of today. That same sort of, you know, that same sort of, as, you know, ethos has continued on to the present in Italy. Um, the government uh, has invested in the design, you know, the economy of Italy. And the furniture manufacturers, though there's a few very large ones, but but not individual powerhouses per se, there's, again, a fractured many, many furniture producers who really solicit the best designers in the world to come to Italy and produce design. Um, you know, in the immediate post-war the more historical um, part, you know, time, it was really Italian designers doing, doing the work. Um, but the, the, the Italian, you know, I think design has become very much, um, you know, braided into the, the identity of Italy. And I, I think that's a wonderful example, um, you know, for I, I honestly wish America would, would follow more of that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, um, who was Giaponti in you know, well, let's just pick him out of the grouping and uh, talk about what made him such an icon. Yeah, I mean, Ponti really looms as the sort of uh, the grand man, the powerhouse of of Italian design. Beginning, he begins in the 1920s and he goes through the 1970s. So, you know, literally for half a century, he's at the center of the design scene, um, you know, Great thing about Ponti is he 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 embodies so many things that that about Italian design in general. I mean, he embraces classicism, and then also moves forward to modernity. And and he he 
that is a kind of a wonderful balancing uh, effect that that the best Italian design can have. He also has you know elements of whimsy um, in his work. Again, a very strong element within Italian design. So he's an architect, um, in Milan, based in Milan. Um, you know, he went on to found Domus Magazine, which is, you know, still in existence and is, you know, became the most important vehicle for Italian design and then later on really an important publication for design in general. Um, and, you know, he's sort of a, you know, I guess in America it'd be something like a George Nelson where he really is, uh, brings together talent and really builds the community in a way that makes the whole scene bigger. The whole time he's at the top of his game, designing in a in a variety of styles. He keeps he keeps you know anticipating sort of the next aesthetic you know change and evolution, and he really leads Italian design for as I said for uh, you know half a century. Wow, that's amazing that there are a number of architects: uh, Mies van der Rohe, I believe, um, Frank Lloyd Wright. Um, I know it's a different movement and all that, but. Uh, so there are a lot of people starting out basically as architects and seem to have fallen into this. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the history of 20th century design is very much dominated by furniture by architects. Um, and even, you know, maybe a little less so today, but still very important today. Yeah, pretty amazing. Now, um, who would you say at the time, that that's a long span, 50 years, but who are the people that were his rivals or someone that was, uh, you know, producing uh, near his uh, his quantity? He has a great deal of quantity out there. Uh, I know you said a lot of these things are hand uh, handmade, a lot of attention to detail. I had never really seen ceramics. I see he did a lot of ceramics as well. Uh, very high in demand, yes? Yeah, the ceramics are quite sought after. Um you know, Ponti, Ponti, you know, I, I think his, his only real rival was more of a, you know, a very quirky designer who went in another direction, another architect, um, Carlo Molino. You know, Carlo Molino is um, sort of almost like a Gaudi type figure, um, sort of an end unto himself, very uh, idiosyncratic design. He was in Turin um, and pursued a you know, just, I mean, fantastical level of architecture and design and his very, very, you know, sort of based in fetish. Um, uh, a lot of it was drawn from, you know, he's, he's quite an interesting character to, to read about, uh, you know, drawn from uh, eroticism and from, uh, he was, you know, sort of a, a, a you know, like, like to put elements of uh, satanic, you know, sort of uh, motifs into his furniture. So it's, it's really interesting stuff. Completely different from Ponti, who is much more of a rationalist, much more grounded in production. Um, you know, even, you know, when, when I say production, even working with artisans, like he didn't make the ceramics, they're all made by Richard Genori, um, which is the, you know, the high-end porcelain house oh, yes. of, mm-hmm. of, of Italy. Um, so I still consider that an artisan-type relationship, but none, nonetheless, it's a production relationship. Um, so, you know, for Ponti, you know, to me, he has more, you know, contemporaries that shared, you know, in that, those endeavors with him, people like Ico Parisi, um, 
in its, its husband and wife team, Eco in Louisa Parisi, um, are probably one of the best known, you know, I, I hate to call them second tier, but, you know, there's sort of, uh, you know, you have Molino and Ponti, and then you really do sort of in terms of market value, you sort of step down a little bit. Um, you know, someone like Pierre Fornicetti is, you know, not really, I mean, it's kind of like Molino in that Fornicetti is an end unto himself. He's not really part of a, a broader design story. He's, he's, you know, just, just, you know, a, a one-off, you know, uh, genius really. Um, so in the, in the real design world, you have, uh, Franco Albini, you have, uh, the Parisi's, um, and then, you know, others kind of smaller, you know, at this point, lesser known uh, you know, figures. Ponty goes strongly until the 70s. Um, who would you say sort of follows uh, a similar path after Ponty? Well, it's interesting because beginning in the 1960s, um, you, you have the rise and dominance of Ettore Sotsis. And Sotsis goes on to, you know, to sort of dominate the next 40 years of Italian design in a very similar way, in, 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 in a way that is, you know, his concerns were equally broad ranging. I mean, he was an architect, a designer, um, but also a community builder, you know, he famously founded the Memphis Group. Oh, yes, I've heard of the Memphis Group. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, very um, uh, controversial <laughs> in a way. Um, but he, he really moves Italian design firmly into the avant-garde. Um, and, and makes design whose concerns go beyond furniture really into a more conceptual idea of what furniture can be and challenging, you know, the, the, the or, or maybe adding to your life in a way that just not, not serving to just function, but, but working as art, working as a, a, you know, conceptual pieces that challenge you and, and engage you on a daily basis. That to me is a lot of what Memphis does. Sotsis is incredibly important. Um, you know, the, the the Italian design sale that we're having this time cuts off. We don't have any. Um, we, we don't. We don't have any Sotsis pieces. We've done a lot with that market. I find it very, a very interesting market for collectors because it's still a small market and there's still opportunity to find really fantastic things, especially focusing on the early work. Mm-hmm. Sotsis does a little bit of work in the fifties. He really comes into his own in the sixties. Um, and he too, like Ponty, produces beautiful, sublime ceramics. Um, you know, of course, does architecture, of course, does furniture, um, does do production pieces as well, designs for Olivetti. So he 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 has a very uh, parallel uh, career. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, when you think of the mid-century, well, I should say, I think of the mid-century. I think of a lot of it is simplicity and design. And so he he sort of gets out and kind of goes a little bit of a different path. Yeah, I mean, I think I think it's interesting to look at Italian design in general. You know, mid-century Italian design is not doesn't come from the Bauhaus. I mean, the you know a lot of mid-century good design for the masses, you know, Charles Eames, you know, what are the problems that, that dictates the design. None of that was so interesting to the Italians. The Italians um, always had more flair, mm-hmm. always were, you know, more decorative. Um, and I think that, that that's part of what can make the work exciting. 
to me, Italian design often flirts with the idea of excess. It'll push it right to the edge. Sometimes it falls off. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, when it's at its best, it, it takes you right there to uh, real exuberance, real joy, real passion, um, but still, you know, uh, seriousness uh, and, and, and um, you know, grounded in design. It can go clearly go too far as well. Um, you know, Sotsis, you know, takes design and, and adds another dimension. You know, he, he added a spirituality. Um, he really felt that design's role was bigger than just function um, or just decoration. Um, and, you know, he, he does, you know, so I think the design, the principles behind his design run very deep. He, you know, he realized those designs in a, in a wide variety of materials and in a wide variety of sort of, uh, I want to say price points, but something more, you know, along that line. I mean, there's, there's, so there's sorts of things that are just, you know, compositions in wonderful materials of marble and lacquer and gilt and, mm-hmm. and are really have a richness that, um, that you miss if you only look at the work from Memphis. Memphis was a commercial-based design manufacturing um, made in, you know, purposely with low materials, repurposing uh, Formica, um, using very, uh, you know, chaotic colors and patterns and really trying to clash and make silhouettes that were very awkward and bold and, you know, um, aggressive. I mean, that, that was you know, the means of it. And I think some of that was trying to tear down some of the ideas of the, of the, 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 um, utopian view of design and tear down some of the ideas of, you know, sort of bland consumerism. And, you know, I've come to really like, you know, that work in small amounts you know, it's incredibly challenging to live in an interior done, you know, in totality in that look. Mm-hmm. To me, you know, while those interiors were done and they do exist, it's, you know, you know, it, it, it's, um, it's too much. But, you know, there's, um, you know, mixing in a table or a lamp or a vase in that sort of very aggressive style within a richer, warmer interior, it really adds a punctuation mark. So, you know, beyond the, the what Sotsis brought to this history of design, which is quite significant, it makes him, you know, uh, he'll always be in the design museums um, just from an interior design living perspective. There's something there uh, that, 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 you know, when you first look at something and you sort of hate it or you're scared of it or you have a, you know, it has a power and it's, mm-hmm. it, it could be interesting to go back and engage that. It's like all art that, uh, that, you know, you can be offended by art, but it still, it, it still moves something in you. First thing is if you're bored, so. Yeah. <laughs> now I know there was a Sutsass uh, interior removed in LA and went up at auction a few years ago, I believe. And yeah, really, some spectacular pieces. It was uh, Max Pilevsky, right? Um, you know, the, the the wonderful patron of Lachma and a, a very heavy duty arts and crafts collector. 
but then I don't know the full story of how he forged a relationship with Sotsis, but but uh, Sotsis did at least one house, if not several, for for uh, for him. Um, and then um, the, the interior did get disseminated. Elimar at an auction sold some really fantastic pieces. Mm. Then other pieces went to Christie's. And Christie's oddly just kind of put them in their junk sales. I, I, I don't know. It was sort of it didn't didn't come off at quite as event that it could have been. But um, there were some some things brought some really nice prices, and that's exactly the kind of work it was. All of that was uh, really smart buys. Whoever ended up with those pieces. Wow. Now, who is the today's Giaponte or Satsas? Well, that's, you know, I was thinking that myself. That doesn't seem to be, uh, that doesn't, the torch has not been passed to my knowledge. Um, the, the Italian manufacturing base is still very strong. Um, you know, the Milan, Milan is still Milan, the, the Salone, the furniture fair, and the surrounding events are still the, dead center of the design world, the contemporary design world, and are sort of the the, the place. Um, but the Italian designers are not, gosh, there, there is clearly not a dominant force. Um, there's not a dominant force really, you know, out there right now in the, in the contemporary design world. There's increased competition in London. Um, you know, there's sort of icons like Konstantin Gerchik, but the Italian design story, it's a little bit, um, you know, it's a little bit like American design. It's a little bit grasping right now. Wow. Um, who are the buyers of, like, for instance, this auction you have coming up? I'm sure you have a lot of action with it right now as it's closing in. Who are the basic buyers? Uh, is it regional? Is it uh, uh, demographics, a certain age that generally buys? You know, it appeals to a fairly wide range. Um, you know, I think because of the more decorativeness, there is a more active market with with decorators, with the uh, interiors trade. Um, you know, certainly there are dedicated collectors to Italian design, especially when you when you have Ponti uh, pieces. I think that uh, clearly we're in a window of time where great fresh material is coming out into the market. And, you know, that, that is, you know, not, that's a finite period of time until, you know, that, that diminishes. So it's still a very interesting and active time in the market. You know, there are um, museum interest in, in important pieces from this era. Um, you know, museums like, uh, like LACMA, um, you know, uh, the, you know, LA Museum, um, you know, collect actively in this field. It, for us, it primarily is um, American. Um, we have a little bit goes to South America. Oddly, very little goes to, Itali- to, to Italy. Occasionally, we sell wow. a piece back to Italy. Um, mm-hmm. But that doesn't happen very often. Um, it's, it's rather rare that it goes to Asia. You know, the, the, the American market and the French market have a lot of Asian buyers. Um, right now, this, is, this is, is more American, South American. Wow. Now, when it first came to the States, did it come into, let's say, New York City, L.A., places like that, the major hubs? 
Yes. I mean, uh, initially there's, um, well, there is an interesting company called Singer and Sons, which is uh, New York and Chicago. So it did, uh, the, the family actually lived here. They were the first major importers of high-end Italian design. Uh, they brought in a table by Carlo Molino, a lot of pieces by Ponti um, and Ecoprizi. Um, so, you know, it, it began to be distributed in the post-war. You know, it's interesting that the Italian economy was not very good in the post-war, so they exported an awful lot of materials. So while this collection comes from Italy, there are, you know, things like the Italian glass market, you know, there's most of the, of the masterpieces of the post-war period actually ended up in America um, as we were, you know, more of the consuming country at the time. There's an importer called Altamira, uh, which was based in New York, started bringing in very high-end Italian design uh, to the New York market. Um, but, you know, also I think from the Italian, you know, immigrant base that there was just, you know, uh, dispersed interest across the country. And, you know, by the late 50s and 60s, Italian design really is something that, that, that starts to be distributed more widely. And certainly by the time you reach the 80s, it's, you know, a very conscious brand and people are looking for Italian design, just like, you know, race car and clothing and, you know, furniture coattailed along with that. Mm-hmm. Um, getting back to the demographics, is it younger people, would you say, are getting involved in this? Well, no, not so much. I mean, the... The uh, you know I don't know the, I don't know if it's a secret but the demographic for most of what we sell while it appeals and the aesthetic is you know appeals to a lot of younger people the sort of price points tend to be people who are in you know their fifties and sixties hmm. and it uh, they really afraid you were going to say that <laughs> yeah I mean you know it's it's. Um, it's when you have a level of, you know, disposable income. I mean, we, we have certainly people in their 40s that are, you know, in the financial world or just made a lot of money in general um, that, that, you know, are our clients. Honestly, rarely in their 30s. I mean, it's, it's something where, um, you know, I've come to see it as, you know, you're, you're, you're busy with your career, you're busy buying your first home, you're busy raising your family. And then as those things, you know, uh, uh, change and, you know, for people who are lucky enough to accrue wealth then they start to say, gee, you know, what would I have bought if I could have afforded it? Or what do I want to buy now? Or what do I enjoy? You know, the pursuits of collecting, it's a, it can be a wonderful adventure. It can lead to travel and learning and it takes time. And for a lot of people, that's something that they, they have more of a little bit later in life. Now, is this the first grouping that you've taken over from Italy, or is this a, does this happen often? It doesn't happen often, but it's not the first. You know, our first sale, our first dedicated design sale, Italian design sale, was in two thousand five, and that too was was largely a single owner collection from um, uh, from Milan um, from a woman named Rosella Colombari who's a wonderful um, second-generation dealer. Um, and she had a wonderful per- personal collection that, that uh, at that time she needed to sell or wanted to sell. And it's been very nice that, uh, you know, here we are seven years later and she was instrumental in, in helping us get this collection. Um, the collector who I went to meet um, doesn't speak English, so we did all of the translating through Rosella and 
uh, of course, had had some wonderful Italian style uh, negotiations too. So <laughs> it, it was it's all been a good adventure. Yeah, yeah. Where do you see the market heading? Is it heading in any type of direction, or do you think it's pretty steady? Well, I think I think it would have to be characterized to me as a mature market, not an emerging market. Mm-hmm. I think that the top pieces by the top designers are continuing to climb in value um, in sort of a very, not very, but a somewhat predictable blue chip way. Um, you know, what will happen with the, you know, sort of uh, lesser known designers you know, there, there could be some growth there, some, you know, that that's probably more of the emerging end of the market. You know, great Ponty is expensive. Um, I think over time it'll prove to only be more expensive. I think he's too important historically. Um, I firmly believe that with Sotsis, I mean, that that's an end of the market where, you know, hard to say that he's emerging, but you can buy nearly everything he ever made for under $100,000. While I understand that's not a small amount of money, in, again, in terms of historical importance, I, I'm sure that we will see pieces in the future, you know, do, do multiples of that, of that sum. It's also exciting in both really all the Italian design market, which for me is all about the post-war and on, the, there's still access to great material, and that's what makes a market active, interesting, and you know can bring in new collectors. If you don't feel like you can find the best stuff, it's not so much fun. Um, you know, something like Carlo Molino. You know, Carlo Molino works have sold for uh, I think the auction record is three point four million. Um, wow. So clearly, Ponti's record is two or three hundred thousand. Um, you know, not, I'm not saying, you know, it, it, it's going to be, or should be a million dollars, but you know, uh, you can at least many more people can afford to get in and buy, you know, uh, uh, Ponte, Sotsis. it's, it's a broader story. Molino is sort of a fetish, tiny market. Most of the work is already in private collections. Um, and it's, it's heavyweight stuff financially. If someone wanted to become a new collector, what advice would you give them? I think if you look at collecting across any category, you need to understand what is the best from that time. I mean, before you start to collect, you have to educate yourself. And Mm -hmm. that is something that is, that's what makes it fun. I mean, you know, um, so as you learn, you know, you should be drawn to collecting category because you love it. You start out with education and then you buy the best you can afford. Um, You know, for people, I know that people listen to your podcast that are outside of the modern design collecting fields, you know, to me, it's always interesting to learn about the top best work of any field. You know, I love yes. learning what makes a, a perfect shaker chair. And I, I love looking at great painted, you know, Pennsylvania furniture and understanding the hierarchy of, 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 of what makes it great. With modern design, the, the same principles apply. And, you know, when you, when you see pieces that really epitomize the time that they were made in and, you know, were in dialogue with the most important ideas that were going on in the world at that time, that's pretty compelling stuff. Um, you know, Italy is part of that story and, 
and, and that's why, you know, for me, it's the story of our century, our time. And it's, 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 it's why I love it. Richard, thank you so much for talking to us again today. And we hope to have you back on again. Yeah, thanks, Martin. It's always a pleasure. And great uh, luck with your auction coming up. Thank you very much. All right. So this is Martin Willis with Richard Wright, and we're signing off. This podcast is sponsored by WorthPoint. Find out what your antiques are worth at worthpoint.com.